All right, praise the Lord. You can turn. We're going to start a message today. I don't know whether I'll finish it today or whether it's going to go on to a follow-up week. I'll know once we're done today. But um, we're going to look at the topic of waiting patiently for God. Amen? And our text scripture is Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And y'all can thank Elder Pam for this because I actually was praying and I had several things I'm working on in terms of series that will be upcoming that actually one I felt I was going to start, but then the Lord showed me to ask Pam if there's anything on her heart. And before I get even to ask her, she ended up sharing this passage of Scripture with me. So needless to say, I prayed about it and the following day the Lord woke me up with an outline for the entire message. So uh, he shifted our gears to Psalm chapter 40 so you can either thank or blame Elder Pam, for this message today. Amen. You just said, Pam? I know. I'm joking. We either thank or blame you for it. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. I just remember one thing, and I'll get started. All right. So everybody there? Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, once again, for the awesome privilege, Father, not only to come into your presence to fellowship with each other and to lift you up in song, Father, but also to have the great privileges the privilege of partaking of the Word of God. We know that your Word, Father, is not just black, white, and red on the paper, Father, but it is inspired through the Holy Spirit. It is the counsel, the wisdom, the healing, and protection of your manifested presence upon us, Lord. So we thank you, Father, for your revelation from on high. We thank you, Father, for how it's going to nurture our spirits. Even if we don't have a situation that it applies to right now, we praise you, Father, at the time in which... We need this to come back to our spirits. You would bring it back to our remembrance, Father, that not only will we be able to sustain the issues that we're facing, but also, Father, if others are going through trials and tribulations, that you would bring it back to our remembrance that we can impart that wisdom to them as well. And we praise and thank you and give you the glory and honor and the praise, Father, for these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so as we see here, David is making a remark, and he said that, He's waiting patiently for the Lord. And as we've all been prone to do, there's times where we're dealing with various trials and tribulations. Sometimes we're actually in crisis mode or at the point of desperation. And we may pray, and it may not seem like right away we're getting back either revelation from God or God doing something to resolve our situation. And as we're dealing with that, That's when the enemy tries to come in with anxiety, with trepidation, fear, and all these other negative emotions. Sometimes you feel as as if God has distanced himself from you, or God doesn't even care. 
But as we see here, there's certain ways in which we have to wait for God. Amen? Hallelujah. And as we are looking at this, God showed me some of the ways in which not only we need to review our situations, but also be able to sustain it until finally we come out on the other side. Amen? So one of the first things we want to look at as we're talking about waiting patiently on God is, how do you handle adversity? Amen? How do you handle adversity? Because if you look at people on a daily basis, you'll see that there's all different forms and fashions in which people handle problems that they're facing. Some people flip out and go running to the hills for help. Some people bury their head in the sand, the ostrich analogy, pretending that the problem's not there. Some people let everybody in the world know they're going through a problem, usually with no resolution. And some people turn to the bottle, the pill, or some other remedy pulling down the shades and turning off the lights, which makes them only further depressed. But people have different ways in which they handle anxiety and adversity. So my question first of all is, how do we handle adversity? And the first thing I want to look at is that some people choose to act impulsively, anxiously, or in haste. Amen? Some people choose to act impulsively. That means that without thinking, you just, boom, run. The first thought, the first unction, the first idea that hits your brain cells, you're running out and doing it without reviewing the consequences of your actions. And one of the things that may happen from time to time is if you act impulsively, as the world says, a lot of times you take yourself out of the frying pan into the fire. So in other words, you make your situation worse, even though it seemed that in your anxiety, i got to do something now. Amen? So anyway, we're going to look at acting impulsively, anxiously, or in haste. And the first thing we're going to look at is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom... Let them ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraid it not, and it shall be given him. But let them ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we see here that, contrary to the world system, God is telling us in this passage of scripture, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or a variety of different temptations. And that sounds very odd. Like, I'm supposed to be happy when I'm being tempted? I'm supposed to be pleased when trials and tribulations are surrounding me on every side? I don't find it funny. I don't find it pleasurable. And I surely am not going to count it all joy. But we see here that God says, no, count it all joy. Not because he wants us to enjoy going through the process of trial and tribulations, but realize that God is protecting us in every area of our life. And a lot of times he allows these trials to come through just for us to mature, to grow in him, to learn more about his nature, and also to have some anecdotal evidence of who my God is, what he got me through, so we can share it with other people as a witnessing tool. Amen? So instead of dreading your problems, God is saying, count it all joy, because first of all, I'm aware that the problem is being presented to you. I know I have all the resources and the wisdom 
necessary to get you out of the problem, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to get you to the other side, so don't worry about the problem. Instead, look at the fact that I'm going to get you through, and you can count it all joy, even though the resolution of your problem hasn't manifested yet. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So count it all joy that God is trusting you enough that I'm letting a trial and tribulation come into your life to give you testimonies in the future. Amen? God trusts me. Woo! Count it all joy. Hallelujah. Because he's allowing me to have a problem. (laughs) See, the babes may not have, they may never go through anything because God said, they're still in their diapers. I can't let them go anything. They'll run away from my kingdom. So the greater the problem, actually... Probably the greater your witness and your maturity is in God. And he chooses to trust you to go through that thing knowing that you're going to stand firm in the face of the enemy, look him in the eye and say, my God is going to get me through the other side. Amen. So I'm not scared of you, Goliath. I'm not scared of you, sorcerers and magicians. I'm not scared of you, Red Sea that's in my path. Whatever that problem may be you know that God's going to get you to the other side. And that's why you can count it all joy, even though you've you've fallen into a variety of temptations and problems. And we see here, it says, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith, work is patient. If you say you have faith, you can walk around on a daily basis. I trust God. I love God. God's all that in a bag of chips. But that's lip service. Amen. See, it's easy for you to talk the game, but it's quite another thing to go through something and still profess that I love and I trust a God that's going to deliver me. So we see here that it is the trying of your faith. It is the testing of your faith that produces something. Walking around on a daily basis saying, I trust God, that ain't amounting to anything. Your faith has not been tested. Wow. Your faith has not been tested. So it's not proven to be solid. It's not proven to be stable. It's not proven to have any kind of backbone to it until it's allowed to go through the process of testing. And that's another reason in which you can count it all joy. God saw fit that he took the stuff I've been professing out of my mouth and going through in my thoughts. He's allowing me to be tested so I have solid evidence now that my faith is real. Amen. I'm giving to you just as I'm getting it. Amen. So take it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So the trying of your faith, work of patience. And that word patience in the underlying Greek means endurance and consistency. Now, I've talked about before how I did martial arts training. And that's the thing. You go to a black belt test, Brother Kelly will share that. You go through years and years of training. But when you get to that black belt test, they basically take everything you've learned over the years cram it all to one massive session, multiply the number of hours from a usual one, one and a half hours of training to now eight to ten hours of torture, and they push you to your brink to see if you got enough to get that black belt around your waist. Amen? And see, the whole time, the teachers know that they've trained you over the years and given you enough training to enable you to pass the test. So the test is not whether or not you are poised to do what you're being instructed to do. The test is, can you mentally endure the trial and tribulations we're pushing you through? We're pushing your body. We're pushing you even more so in your mind. Do you have the endurance and the consistency to take what we trained you to do, do it for hours way beyond what you're accustomed to, and come out the other side and say, I have achieved. Amen? So... Not only can you be tested, but sometimes it's a test of how much you endure and mentally can you stand the test of time of your trial. Amen? So the trial of your faith worketh patience. It works endurance 
And it works consistency in your life. Instead of you being a Christian that one day you praise God and he's all that and you're walking with good Christian character and the next, oh, well, we ain't seen him in four months and he out getting drunk again. One day he's praising God with all his heart and the next, God ain't faithful. Amen? Or that secret agent type of stuff where you don't really say God's not faithful but then you go to all the friends. No breakthrough yet. I've been praying for two weeks. No breakthrough yet. Pastor preached about faith, and I'm applying to faith, but I ain't seeing the faith. So you go to everybody but God who you're really complaining about. You're doing that secret agent complaining. And see, the whole time, God knows you're talking about him. He ain't stupid. But it's through the trying of your faith where you stand the test of time, and you only allow praise and phrases of trust to come through your mouth that you can say, I've sustained the test, I've endured, and I'm consistent in my faith. See, with consistency, you don't allow the situation or how you're feeling to determine how you carry yourself. Instead, despite the circumstance, I'm going to still be consistent in what I do, what I say, how I react, and how I perceive things. Because I know, according to his word and through my experiences, that God's going to give me the breakthrough that I need in the situation. Amen? But it's only through the test that you get to that place. So do you act impulsively and allow your emotions and the situation and the trauma for it to make you come out of your Christian character? Or do you stand the test and say, it may have hit me suddenly, it may have hit me without warning, it may have even traumatized me, but God is still going to do this. I trust God in that. I profess that God's going to do this and that. How do you stand when these things come your way? So it says here, let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. See, perfection and being entire or being whole only comes through the process of going through a trial of your faith and standing the test. If you get hit with a situation and you run, and then you come back six months to a year later, get another traumatic situation, and you run, then you go two years later, situation comes, and you run, guess what? You haven't developed. You haven't grown. You haven't learned or gone through anything because you haven't seen that standing upon God's word enables me to deal with this no matter how I feel and come out the other side victorious. So as long as you're going around that merry-go-round of being tested and running or being tested and coming out of Christian character, you haven't endured the test that enables you to grow into spiritual maturity. Amen? So God wants you to be perfect and entire, and it's through this process of being tested and you doing it God's way that you become mature in the kingdom of God. But thank God in verse 5 it says, If any of us lack wisdom, let us ask God, and it says he pours it out liberally. In other words, God doesn't hold back. You ask him for wisdom, you're going to get wisdom. Amen? You're not going to get foolishness. You're not going to get confusion. You're not going to get lies, deceptions, or bad information. If you ask God for information, not only will God give you the information that is applicable to your situation, but he'll pour out more revelation than you ever would need to handle your situation. You'll go to God and say, hey, can you tell me one way to handle this situation? God will give you ten. So you've got multiple choices on how to resolve your conflict. Amen? That's the God we serve. So God says, I will pour it out liberally and upbraid you not. In other words, I ain't going to criticize you if you approach me for wisdom. I'm not going to say, why are you coming here bothering me? That's what it's basically saying there. God says, if you come to me, I'll pour it out and I'll pour it out liberally so that you can have the revelation you need. But we see here that the key thing in handling situations and making decisions whether to act in faith or to act through impulsivity, anxiety, or haste, is that when we go to God and ask God for stuff, we got to stay stable. 
You can't go to God and say, give me revelation. Give me wisdom on how to handle this. And one day, like I said, you're going in God, and the next, I'm doing it my way. The next, my friends advise me to do this against God's word. See, we see here it says that if you do that, it says that you're considered a double-minded man from God's perspective. You know what a, a double-minded man is? Actually, even in the underlying Greek, it's talking about you being schizophrenic. God said you're a nutcase. Amen? Get the straight jacket, put you down in Angkor, there's a nut on the loose. <laughs> That's what God's saying. A double-minded man. See, what is double-minded? Instead of having one mind, you got two. Some people might have multiples. <laughs> you got some spiritual symbols out there. You got 17 personalities talking to you. Amen? And that's the problem. Amen? Instead of you doing Jesus and thinking with the mind of God, well, Bill told me, <laughs> and Frank told me, <laughs> and Ted told me, and next thing you know, you're so confused, you can't even follow yourself correctly. You're walking that street like this. <laughs> Well, every wind of doctrine, every wind and idea that hits your mind, you're just going back and forth. Head jerking back and forth, side to side. You don't know where you're going. Amen? Because God says you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. You're unstable because one second you're saying, I trust you, God, I want to do it your way. And then the next, you allow your flesh, your emotions to dictate how you react, how you perceive, and how you walk out that situation that you're going through right now. Amen? So like I said, God says you're a double-minded, schizophrenic person. In one part of your mind, you say, I trust you, God. I love you, God. I'm doing it your way. But in another sense, God's cracking up. <laughs> but in the other mind, you're saying, I trust in my situation, what the enemy's going to do to me, and the fear and the anxieties and the distrust and the betrayals and all this other mess that you're going through. So what we need to do is choose you this day who you're going to serve. Choose you this day who you're going to believe Kick the bad mind out and said, I'm only going to allow my thoughts to gravitate toward one mentality. I'm doing it God's way no matter how much it hurts. Amen? And that word perfect in underlying Greek it means that you are complete in applications of labor, growth, mental and moral character, or of full age. In other words, you're grown. We were watching an old episode of Martin the other day where they had the players' ball, and they had all these players, like Antonio Fargas and stuff there on the stage, and all of a sudden this one guy jumps up, and he says something, and the guy who's the MC said, boy, didn't I tell you to sit there quietly when grown folk are talking? Amen? So in God, some of you ain't grown. So God said, you need to sit back, shut up, let grown folks talk, and when we ask you what your opinion is, then you got something to say. Amen. So in other words, you need to sit back and learn because you have not grown to a place of spiritual maturity so that your labor, your growth, your mental and moral character are always consistent in the things of God. In other words, you've grown in the word of God. You've grown in the application of the word of God. So there's no longer I have head knowledge of the scriptures, but now I've made it applicable. I have experiences with it. And through that, I have now transformed my mind so that I no longer think like I did before I got saved. I no longer think like I thought two, three, five, ten years ago when I first got saved. I've gone through a transformation where when something happens in my life, it isn't Brian Fox's or Pam Fox's or Carol or Kelly's or Trey's thoughts that come to mind first. I think, what is God's word say about this thing, and this governs the way in which I need to react. Amen? And it's a growth process. 
Things are going to come that anger us, hurt us, bring us a sense of fear. But as you continue to do this and commit yourself to it, God starts to take over your personality and your thought process. And you start to go almost like on a a spiritual autopilot where stuff that might have wounded you or angered you before, it kind of like bounces off. Because now you're seeing it. It's not the person trying to anger me with their taunts or their criticisms, but it's an unsaved soul or it's an unsanctified mind. I hear what you're saying, but God's word is governing my thoughts, so it's bouncing off. And instead of me getting angry and retaliating, I'm going to pray for you, brother. Amen? See, God starts to change your perceptions to the point where it starts to control your reactions and everything to various situations. So how do you handle adversity? Do you stand the test of time and avoid being a double-minded man? Or are you still unstable, not asking God for information or asking God for wisdom? He gives it to you, and then you refuse to apply it in your life. Like I said, our ability to stand during adversity is based upon us not reacting impulsively. And we have to allow ourselves to get to the place where we first were a student in the kingdom of God, and now we've risen up through reading the word, meditating upon the word, applying the word. We've risen up from being the student to being somebody that's now capable of teaching somebody else. Amen? And even when you get to the place where you're grown, you still ain't that grown. All of us still got places in which we can grow in God. I like to tell people I'm a lifetime student of God's word. So I do preach and teach it now, but I'm still a student. Amen? I'll go into a Bible study now. It could be somebody got saved a year ago. I'll sit there just like a student and soak it up, looking for them to give me some revelation because I believe that God in them can speak a word into my life. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's go to the next one, Psalm 31. Verses 21 through 24. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Now it says here, blessed be the Lord, for he hath shown me his marvelous kindness. And then it says in verse 22, for I have said in my haste, I am cut off from before thy eyes. Once again, for I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine, or in other words, God's eyes. So you see what happens? You have situations that hit you suddenly, sucker punches you, sneaks in the back door, hits you from behind, you didn't expect it, and when the initial trauma or the emotions associated with the situation hit you, there is an opportunity there for the enemy to get in and your flesh to get in the way for you to, instead of to reflect on the word of God and how to see and how to react to the situation, you can say in your haste, God cut me off. Well, if God loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen. If God was faithful, I wouldn't be feeling this way right now or I wouldn't be dealing with the situation. So you can say in your haste, I am cut off from the eyes of God. Now, that word haste means to start up suddenly or to fear. And that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to come in with a traumatic sucker punch 
ambush situation where it makes you take your eyes off of God and instead of you automatically allowing the word God to come back or the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, oh, it's going to be okay. God must be allowing us for the reason. Instead, you say in your haste, or in other words, you say in your fear, God didn't cover me in this. God's not faithful. I can't trust him anymore. Look what he allowed to happen. Now, here's the thing. Notice that it says, I said in my haste, I am cut off. Although you might say, because you're in a rush, you need God to do it now, or you're tempting to take advantage of an opportunity or situation before it advantages, you might say that God cut me off, but the reality is that God never did it. See, it's a matter of perception. Amen? It's your perspective versus God. It doesn't say anywhere in this passage of Scripture that something happened to you and God said, because this happened, I am also, in addition to allowing this to happen to you, I am also choosing to cut you off now. It never says that. It says, in my haste, I said. It's my tainted perspective. It's my believing the lies of the enemy and my flesh. It's me hearing the voice of my anxiety and my fear and first hearing it in my ears hearing it through other people or allowing my flesh to speak to me through my emotions. It is through all those different things that I should have shut off. I hear the voices of these things, whether they are audible or I'm hearing them in my mind and in my rationality. When I hear all those things, I'm the one that despite the reality of God and his word, I choose to say, God cut me off in my haste or my fear. So you're the one that puts yourself in a situation where you're now feeling that God is now unfaithful. Amen? See that? So once again, we got to go back and evaluate our situations. You can't be in a rush to do something outside of God's timing. You can't be attempting to take advantage of an opportunity that maybe he has not presented to you. And you can't be out aggressively pursuing and pursuing and pursuing something when God's not saying it's yours to gain. And then turn around and say, God cut me off because I didn't get the goods or the opportunity situation. Because all these things, when you speak that, it's automatically coming from a fearful mindset. So the reality, once again, is that even though you may feel that way, you have to still turn it back around and say, okay, even though I'm feeling that God has abandoned me, God has cut me off, I have to take my feelings right now, go back to the word of God. His word says he will never forsake me. It says that many afflictions of the righteous, but God delivereth them from them all. you got to go back to the word of God, concern your situation, look at the nature of God and said, even though I feel this way, it is a lie of the devil because God's word is true. Every man is a liar and God will never forsake me in any situation. So the very thought that God cut me off is a lie from the enemy meant to distance you from God. Amen. Not draw you closer. Amen. Because really, what is the fruit of the mindset that God cut me off? God abandoned me. God wasn't faithful to me. Does that draw you closer to God? Colin Trey had the, the worst crisis of their life, and they came to me and said, Dad, can you help me? And, and I was like, no, I don't care. Would that draw them closer to me? No. They would be, first of all, hurt. And if, if I didn't remedy that hurt, it would go from an emotional wound and hurting them to now distancing themselves. That the next time they go through a crisis, well, since he turned me down and abandoned me the last time around, I won't go to him again. You see what I'm saying? Amen? So God does not draw you closer through cutting you off. 
He might chastise you. Even as he chastises, he brings you closer. It might make the butt whipping a little harder. <laughs> he pulling you in as he bleeds. I mean, in some cases, you might be like, Lord, you can let me go a little bit this time. <laughs> but the reality is, with God's love, even when he chastises you, he's bringing you in. He'll give you the beating. He gives you the bear hug, too, on top of it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, once again, the mindset, whether it's in your flesh, your soulish man and your emotions... Or an attack of people surrounding you being used by the enemy or the enemy himself giving you the mentality that I am cut off from God. That's a lie that is intended by the enemy to distance you from God. So don't fall for the lie. Don't believe the hype. Amen. Go back to God's word and say, no, that is not true. God will never do that. God is a faithful God. Hallelujah. God can be trusted in all situations. So I know that's a lie. So sometimes you got to even say, self, get over yourself. I know I feel cut off. I know I feel abandoned. But you know what? All I'm doing is is, is probably having a spiritual temper tantrum because God didn't give me what I deserve. So don't let my feelings lie to me and tell me that he cut me off when the whole time is I just need to grow or I need to say, God, show me how you're seeing it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So God will never cut you off. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so first we look at, in terms of handling adversity, do you act impulsively, anxiously, or in haste? Like I said, anytime you're acting out of those negative things, the end result will not be fruitful. Hallelujah. Because God does not operate in haste, impulsivity, and fear. God operates in holiness, purity, faith. Amen. Hallelujah. So don't look for God in your haste. He ain't there. <laughs> don't look for God in your fear. He's not there. God destroys fear. Amen. So how are you going to be fearful? God, where are you at? God's like, you got to praise me and come up out of your fear. As soon as you come out of your fear, that's when you see me. Amen? I don't abide in fear. So as long as you let that thing surround you like a garment, amen, you walking around like one of them old soul singers, they throw the cape on you and you, oh, nobody know the trouble I see. Amen? I'm so fearful, I'm about to die. God's like, I ain't there. You, can take, you better throw that cape off and get back into the land of praise. <laughs> you better come back to the land of praise, amen, because that's where you will find me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Lord. Whew. I mean, there might be some double-minded man needs a straight jacket. This is some Christians out there might need one, too. <laughs> oh, Lord. Some other people are a little crazy in the kingdom, but that's okay, right? Praise the Lord. All right, so we don't want to act impulsively, anxiously, or in haste. Here's what we want to do. We want to prayerfully seek God's intervention. We see in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things 
which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now we see initially here that as we're talking about traumatic situations and adversity hitting our way, we don't want to act impulsively, anxiously, or haste. And we see here that we need to prayerfully seek God's intervention. And it tells us initially, be careful for nothing. That phrase in the underlying Greek, be careful, means to be anxious about through the idea of distraction. Once again, be careful means to be anxious about through the idea of distraction. In other words, because you're being distracted from reality, you now have cause to be anxious. But we see here, according to the word, it says, don't, it says, be careful for nothing. So it's reversing that. It's basically saying in common English, don't be anxious. Amen? Or don't be anxious about through the idea of distraction. In other words, don't let yourself be distracted by your circumstances. Amen? Instead of being distracted, it says, don't allow yourself to be distracted, whether it's through the enemy, people, or your flesh. Instead, or but, in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, and, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So don't allow yourself to be distracted. Here's God's reality. Don't let this trial and tribulation, don't let the circumstance, don't let your feelings distract you. Don't let the enemy speak in your ear and taunt you. Don't be distracted. Instead, come to me with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, and let your request regarding your situation be known unto me. Amen? So God is saying, instead of allowing yourself to get distracted and anxious, come to me all the time when you're going through trials and tribulations. And he said, the way that you need to approach me is to come with the prayers. Amen? Thanking me for who I am. Thanking me for my love. Thanking me for the salvation that you gave me. Thank you, God, for all these different things that you bestowed upon my life that I didn't deserve. And then it says with supplication to present the things that you need in your life. God, I ask you to touch this area. God, hey, I don't know how to handle this. Give me wisdom. That's how you come. But there's a key way that you need to do it. It says come and present your prayers and supplication to God with thanksgiving. Don't come with your murmuring. Don't come with your complaining. Don't come with God, what have you done for me lately? Amen? You need to come to God with some respect, in other words. Amen? I don't care how fearful you are, how miserable you are, how long it's been since your trial and tribulation has been changed. Don't be coming to him like an ingrate. Because you ain't that grown. Amen? I told people before, I coach VBA basketball. I'm a board member. I've served in different roles. I serve as a coach. And one of the first things I had to deal with a lot of times year to year is that different people raise their kids in a variety of ways. And they try to step up. I ain't hearing you. I said, okay, well, you're going to be riding my bench. Well, I'm supposed to play 20 minutes a game. I don't care what the rules are. I help write the rules. And I will violate them rules if you don't give me my proper respect. Amen. And I said that to them right in front of their parents. I don't care. I see, I ain't scared. I ain't scared. If you allow your kid to come up to behave in that certain way, and they think because you're standing there that they get the opportunity to disrespect me, well, guess what? I'm going to return fire right in front of your parents. Amen? So it's the same thing with God. When we come to God, you better be coming to God with a certain amount of respect. Your level of desperation does not affect the way in which you get to approach God. Amen? Amen? 
So you can't go to him with a small problem. God, I blew my tire. I don't have enough cash. So I praise you, God. Please find a way to get the money in my hands so I can fix my tire. But then you come with a terminal disease. God, I can't believe you allowed that to happen. No. He, he ain't worried about your level of problem. I mean, he's concerned and he loves you. But just because your emotions are elevated up a certain way and you flipping out or whatever, that don't give you the right because it's a bigger problem that your approach to God can be different. Amen? Whether you're dealing with a small little problem that he could blow away like that or something he got to really intervene on, you still need to approach God with the same level of respect and thankfulness, amen, for what he's done in the past. God got feelings too. Somebody approached me the wrong way, I might have it at my disposal to help them. But because you approached me the wrong way, nope. Well, what do you mean no? Well, don't you? Yeah. Well, how can you say me no? Because I don't like how you approach me. So no. No. Here's the thing. Sometimes, depending on the situation and the person and their level of growth, I might have some flexibility. If you're a babe in Christ, well, Brian, I need this because blah, blah, blah. Well, babe in Christ, tantrum, okay, I'll bless you anyway. But you've been saved five, ten years preaching the word and everything, and you approach me like that? No. Yeah, go tell daddy on me too. And I'll still tell you no. So you come back with a little humility, amen? <laughs> So it's based upon the level. But we got to have the mindset that at all times, no matter how grave the situation may be, we still have the same level of trust, admiration, adoration for God when we come before him. Amen. It tells us here as we go further, there's times that you're going to have to wait patiently regarding your situations. And as you're waiting, you come to me as we see here, thankfully, presenting your stuff. And in the meantime, while you're waiting, and you may not know why I'm having you wait, As you're waiting, here's what you need to do. So you won't flip out, so you don't go crazy, so you don't go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Focus on the things that are true, the things that are above, the things that are good report, the things that are lovely, the things that are pure, the things that are honest. These are the types of things that you focus on instead of your problems, instead of your emotions. These are the things that you focus on as you're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. And we see here that as you think on these things that you have learned, which most people have learned it, but some people don't operate in it. But if you focus on these things that you have learned about the nature of God, it says, then the peace of God shall be with you in the midst of you waiting for God's resolution to your problems. And that's why you see a lot of Christians, and they're flipping out and acting impulsively and doing this and making problems worse and agitating people and going around miserable. Because they might be waiting, but first of all, they may not be praying right, and then they might not be waiting with their focus on God's way of waiting, which is thinking on godly things, not focusing on the negativity that's surrounding you in your circumstances. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As I said, that be careful. It means, see, the enemy wants to get you off of the things of God so that he can distract you. And he can taunt you. And he can make the situation look 
even worse than it often is. Amen? He distracts your eyes off of God. You're supposed to be focused and praise you, God. It didn't come through yet, but I praise you, God. I thank you. And, and God's sitting there like, you keep praising me? Hallelujah. And a certain level of that praise come forth, and a certain level of that faith manifests in your life, that's when the blessing is going to supernaturally be unfolded before you. And the enemy's trying to distract you. God didn't come through yet. God didn't come through yet. And so you're trying to stand your ground. I'm praising you, God. I'm praising you. God didn't come through. God didn't come through. They're in your ears. I praise you, Lord. I praise you. God didn't come through. Oh, look, it's getting worse. That eye start tilting a little bit to the left or right. Then it keeps coming. Day seven. God didn't come through. Next thing you know, you turn your head. And then the next thing you know, you're starting to profess negatively, perceive negatively, complain. And the next thing you know, breakthrough done. Because God says, I'm not operating through your disbelief. So you've gone from standing firm in me and the miracle, the deliverance, the revelation, the restoration about to break forth in your life to now you've hindered yourself and maybe cost yourself a season because you didn't stay on the faith trail. Amen? See, it's like a harvest. You plant seed and you water it and you fertilize it and you give it nutrients and at the end of a certain season, that's when your plants or your harvests are about to come forth. But guess what? You go out in your garden and you start throwing the wrong stuff on there and you burn the ground or you do something or you don't water it. Well, guess what? You're either not going to get the season, you'll kill off all the plants, or it won't come up as fruitful as it should have been. So the enemy is the one that tries to get in your ear and it cause you to burn up your harvest yourself with fear and intimidation and lies and deception and distractions. So you got to stand your ground and say, hey, I know God has a season available for me. It's coming and I can't allow the weeds to talk to me. Amen? Hallelujah. The weeds. <laughs> I can't allow them little critters that come in at night that nibble at the tops of my plants to steal my harvest. God, I see the harvest. I can't allow the moles that will dig up underneath and try to eat my harvest by the roots to steal from me. I see the harvest, God. you got to stay focused on the harvest and don't allow the enemy to allow your anxieties to build up to the point that you step away from the season that God has intended for you. Amen? Because that season, you plant a tomato, you know at a certain amount of time the tomato's going to come up and it's going to be right. Amen? <laughs> but if you do something to mess up that season, it'll be extended. Or it won't happen at all. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. See, God, a lot of times in nature and stuff, God is giving you all these plants and stuff out here so you can look at it and get a revelation of, well, if the plant does it in this amount of time, well, if I pray or plant some kind of action or impartation to somebody's life, there's going to be a seed that gets waters, increases, and comes forth and gets cultivated at a certain time. God's trying to use nature around us to give us the revelation of how he operates. Amen? But see, we ruin our own crops. Because we don't have the sensitivity to know that if I keep planting and watering and fertilizing, there has I repeat, has to be a season of manifestation. We start focusing on the weeds instead of the harvest, and the next thing you know, there is no harvest. Not because the devil had the power to strip you bare, but because you crippled your own harvest through unbelief. Amen? So no matter what you hear in your flesh and your emotions, keep planting. No matter what you hear, keep watering. Keep praising, amen? And then God's going to allow the harvest to come forth in his own time and season. And there's nothing the enemy can do to hinder it, amen? The enemy cannot stop the seasons of God. He stopped cover to cover. He's tried to stop the seasons, amen? He tried to kill off Moses before he was born. He tried to kill off Jesus before he was born. 
You look through the Bible, the devil's always trying to kill harvests. Amen? But what does God do? Despite what you're trying to do to kill off the harvest, I'm going to allow a baby to go down a river in a basket. Amen? I'm going to allow a mother to be born outside of natural means and then allow her to go over over into Egypt of all places. Amen? To hide them. So God will find a way to make the harvest come forth. you got to get out of the way and stay in the land of faith. Amen? And also stay in the land of receptivity to what God is speaking to your life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so the enemy is the one who wants to hinder your faith in God by distracting you from the reality of his divine attentiveness. Amen? His grace and his interventions to focus on your problems. And instead of assessing over your fears, God is instructing us here to focus on him or to go through the process of adjusting our thoughts so that we keep our eyes Focus on the prize. We keep our hands on the field plowing it. Amen? We keep our praise watering the things of God that are about to manifest. So question I have, next question I want to look at is, how do you wait? Amen? We first looked at how do you handle adversity. Now I want to look at how do you wait? And one of the first things you could do is be fearful of the situation getting worse. Because once again, there's, there's a couple ways of waiting. You can wait in the land of faith, or you can wait in the land of fear. You can wait in the land of God, or you can wait in the land of the enemy. And it doesn't matter whether you save or unsave, amen? You could choose, even though you're saved, to be waiting on the enemy's domain in terms of your thought process. You'll go to heaven, but you might go to heaven miserable. Amen. You'll bust through heaven. You won't bust through hell. You'll bust through heaven's gates. I'm here, Lord. Hey, welcome in, my servant, into the eternal bliss, the glory of the Lord. But you came here a little early. (laughs) Well, how, Lord, I trusted you. Yeah, you trusted me. Sometimes. Other times you murmur and complain. Other times you trusted in the disease in your body more than you did in the fact that I wanted to heal you. Amen? So you were there. You were a faithful servant. You touched many lives for me. But because in this area you allow fear to take control, I got to welcome you in a few years early. Amen? Holly. So how do you wait? First thing we look at, like I said, is fearful of the situation getting worse. In Isaiah 41, verses 9 through 13, it says, Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them, 
even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Sometimes we're surrounded by trials and tribulations and it's ongoing battles. And it seems like the more we're praying and the more we're asking God to give me deliverance from my circumstances, that sometimes the stakes go higher before there's deliverance from your trial. We see here that it says that the people that were coming against them were incensed against them. In other words, they were glowing or blazing up with anger. Like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to exterminate you. I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. I hate you with the cruelest of hatreds, and I am totally determined that I'm going to snuff you out. That's the kind of attitude that the opposition had in the situation. It says further on, they that strive with thee shall perish. That word strive means to contest personally or legally, to cause controversy against, to stir up a multitude against. Do you ever have a situation where you might have an initial argument or disagreement and it becomes personal in nature or as we see here in, in the common day and age, it might go to court. And it says that these people are not just arguing with you now, I am contesting against you and it's a personal thing. It's a legal thing. And then they go further. They start to lie on you and disparage your character. So they cause a controversy against you. And then not only are they coming against you, but they agitate or incite other people to join in and come against you. So you may have started out with a minor disagreement with one person and the next thing you know you got a mob out to get you. Amen. They might not necessarily do something to you personally. They might not be in your face but they might even be back there quiet smile on your face and the mob is incited to take you down. Amen. It then goes further it says that these people war against you. They engage you in battle. So it's not just a skirmish. These people are determined to wipe you out, to do you in, to undermine you. And they might not necessarily take your life, but they're trying to wipe out every trace at that job, at that school, at that church. Lord knows I've seen that before. (laughs) So they are engaged in battle. They are locking in their missiles. They have their ICBMs pointing your way. They have their finger over the red nuclear warhead launching button. And they are trying to smite you where you stand in Jesus' name sometime. Amen? So we see here that these things come and they may appall you. They may traumatize you. They may bring fear into your life. But despite all this warfare that might be coming against you frequently and consistently, God's response to all that is that don't worry about the situation as it is now. Don't even worry about the situation getting worse. He says, don't be dismayed. In other words, don't be overwhelmed with how it seems to be coming against you. He says, don't be fearful. He says, I'm going to end the situation and put an end to it. Amen? So that's the mindset that we should have. And I don't mean that we, because we're God's children in good stead, that we go around picking fights and starting battles because if you do that, then God's going to have to deal with you and maybe make you lose a few wars. Amen? But as long as we are operating in spirit and truth, we can trust God and his promise that no matter how fearful the situation currently is, and no matter how fearful it may be seeming to grow or escalate in intensity, that if we're doing what God has called us to do, walking in spirit and truth and total obedience to his word, 
God makes us a promise that he will hold up our right hand and he will help us. Amen. You can't get much better than that. <laughs> Shoot. People coming to get you and like, well, me and my friends, well, we're going to see you later. Well, yeah, me and my friend <laughs> going to see you later. <laughs> me and my friend. People, let me tell you about my best friend. <laughs> He's the one who built suns and universes and loves me to the end. Uh, people, let me tell you about my best friend. Serve a big best friend. He blinks and stars manifest. <laughs> he whispers and comets go across the heavens. Amen? <laughs> you talk about home improvements, he stretched the heavens like a garment. It literally says that in the word of God. Whew. He stretches he stretched the heavens like a garment. I mean, you realize that they actually found, scientists have found areas in the universe where the age of the stars don't map out right. And they said the only thing could have done is that something stretched the area of the universe. Science has proven God's word. God literally, y'all think that's just word. God stretched the heavens out as a garment to the point that scientists are like, whoa, them stars at this age, those stars right next to them are, are how old? What well, that can only happen if time and space stretch somehow. Yeah, because God stretched it, like he said. <laughs> that's an extra tidbit for y'all, amen? So God is true to his word, even with science backing it. So we don't have to be fearful of what the enemy is trying to do or is planning to do. We just need to stand firm and see God's salvation from our circumstances. So sometimes you may fear a situation get worse. Sometimes you might be fearful of losing opportunities or relationships. And we're going to read Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Revelation 3, 7 through 8. And this is Jesus speaking. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name. Now, in this passage of Scripture, of course, this is Revelation, so a lot of this is futuristic and prophetic in nature, but we know that Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even though this passage of Scripture might be talking about some future event, and Jesus talking to the seven churches, this one talking actually to Philadelphia, so we can really take that personal, amen? But we see here that one of the aspects of God... And Jesus, or that they open doors that no man can shut. And they close doors that no man can open. And what that tells us is as we're looking at the possibility and the fear of losing either opportunities or relationships, well, if it's meant to be, and God opened it, nobody can shut the door on that what? Relationship or opportunity. And if it's a door that God has shut, nobody can open it. So you can't bargain, you can't barter, you can't plead, you can't manipulate, you can't manipulate, as Mr. Brown would say. You can't manipulate it. You cannot manipulate it. Amen? Ain't nothing you can do. If God has opened the door, no man can shut it. You don't have a crane, 
a car, a battering ram, anything available that can shut that door if God has opened it. So you don't have to fear that people say, you're not getting that. You ain't going to never get that. You know how they are. Well, God told me it's open, so I'll see you on the other side. Because I'm walking through that door. Amen. That God opened. Because <laughs> God opened it. Either he's holding his hand there to keep the door open, or he stands an angel there that says, uh-uh, ain't nobody shutting this bad boy. Or God could just blow it open at the time that you need it. Amen. See, Pharaoh thought that the Israelites were going to die when they backed them up again. I was just looking at the other day. <laughs> it's funny because God set the whole thing up. And here's how God might affect your doors as well. It says that God told the Israelites to go to the sea. And when they went there, it said they were surrounded on different sides by the enemy and that they were walled in so that the only place they could go was through the water, even though it wasn't open yet. And then, to make things even better, and even make this movie even greater, it says that God not only told them to go to the place where they would be boxed in, but God then was, was just inspired enough that he said, you know what, now that I put them in a place where they're backed into a corner, I'm going to go talk to my boy Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, you know those people that just diss you and embarrass you? I'm going to harden your heart to make you hate them even more. And now that they're boxing in the water that I sent them to, now I'm inspiring you, go kill them. Amen? It says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Because, see, in other words, Pharaoh was embarrassed. He was humiliated. But he might have been there at the palace sulking and stewing his juices. Doggone Israelites took all my stuff. But then it says, God went to him and said, I'm hardening your heart. I'm making you angry. You're not going to just sit there sulking in your defeat. And from the miracles that you just saw, I'm going to harden your heart. I'm going to make you do what is totally crazy. Because you look at that, ten plagues. I'm done with that guy. I ain't messing with him. And I ain't messing with none of his people. You got to be crazy to go after them after all that. And you came out of that with your life. And you got enough nerve to come do a final attack. Nobody would do that. So the only reason he did that is because God said, back y'all up against the water. Now, harden your heart, go exterminate them. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. Then Pharaoh went to kill him. Then when Pharaoh was there on horizon, they were back to the corner. There was no escape whatsoever, and they were looking death in the eye. That's when God said, now I open up your door. Why? Not only to let my people go through the obstacle that was unbreachable, but also as the enemy whose heart I harden against all common sense to come exterminate them. Now that they're through, now I'm going to close in that same water, the door that, the door that everybody said that they could not get through. Amen? The door that was impassable, the door that was unapproachable, the door that couldn't even be opened. God says, not only will I open it up to let you through at the last possible moment, but I'm going to inspire the man that previously abused you and oppressed you and sent him to the point that he comes to try to wipe you out, and now I'm going to use the door that was shut to kill him. Amen? See, you don't mess with my people. God is the ultimate gangster, man. Whew. You talk about a gangbagger with his peeps? You talk about somebody with his posse? When God's posse? Woo! You don't want him to step in. You do not want him to step in. Man. Because, I mean, you, you look at it, you'd be like, why in the world would Pharaoh follow them? 
Come on, man. You just barely scraped through with your life. He didn't kill your kids, killed all the firstborn sons, killed cattle, boils on bodies, all this stuff. Why in the world would you ever mess it? You should be running in the opposite way of God. And yet Pharaoh got up on his chariot and went there to attack again, only because the hardening of his heart by God. Because God said, now am I open up the door, but those who oppressed you, those who mocked you, those that held you back, those that kept you in bondage, I'm not only going to open up the door at the last minute to get you through, but I'm going to destroy every trace of them for coming against my people. Amen? Hallelujah. And here we are afraid that we're about to lose an opportunity or relationship. God said, if I could do it for them on a mass level, millions of people in the balance, you think I can't give you a job? You think I can't keep a relationship open that I open? Because they taunt you, uh, I'm going to cripple you. Uh, I'm, I got so many lies, I'm going to tell, I'm going to ruin your relationship. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to go to every supervisor, every boss and lie to make sure you lose that job or that opportunity. God's sitting there like, are you kidding me? God might be like, hey, Maybe I need to harden a few more hearts so I can just even make it worth my intervention. I done wiped out a whole nation for my people. You worrying about your little one job? I mean, come on. God could play horse in that game. Give you an H. <laughs> he don't even have to get serious about delivering you in comparison. <laughs> I look the other way and deliver you. I can't even look in focus, man. I mean, that's just so easy. <laughs> like I said, here we are fearful about losing opportunities and relationships. And God is like, hey, if I open the door, same as I did for the Israelites, even if it doesn't appear open at the time that you think it should be open, but I told you it's yours to get. It doesn't matter what attack is coming your way and how big it is. I'll actually let you get back into the corner, a place of desperation where it seems you won't get it. Last moment, as they're coming and say, party's over. I finally got you. Open up that door, lead you through. And the same way, bam. Close the door on them and just totally mess them up. Amen? So if anything, we need to be praying for them that God don't smite them and take them out physically the same way he did with Pharaoh and his people. Amen? It's really only the blessings of God that people just ain't dropping dead from messing with his people. But he's the same God, has the same power. Amen? It's the grace of God. Amen? That they get taunt and attack and be on the prowl trying to take down a Christian. Amen? And see, the thing is, the Israelites in the Old Testament didn't even have the Holy Ghost. Amen? They didn't have the presence of God inhabiting them. They didn't have the power to praise and to worship and pronounce God's word over situations like we do. They better be thankful that God's holding back. So we serve a God, like I said, that opens doors that no man can shut, whether it's relational, organizational, future opportunities you're going after. They cannot shut them if God has opened them, so we do not have to fear entering into them. Now, on the other side of the coin, and we got to keep it real with us too, there's sometimes where we're trying to pursue a relationship or a door that God has closed. So the same way that nobody can stop us from going through a door that God has opened, because either he wedges it open or he opens it up just as we need it to let us through, the same way if God has shut a door, there's nothing you could do to, once again, barter, manipulate, <laughs> control, plea bargain. There's nothing you could do to open it if God says no. But the thing is, if God says no, most likely he's got something better for you that will make that pale in comparison. You'll be praising God that you didn't get the door that you wanted. Amen? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Woo! You'll be like, thank you, Jesus. Boy! 
all that stuff I was trying to do to make that work and wedge my way through that door, Lord knows if I had got through that door, whew, I'd be bankrupted, I'd be busted up, broke, depressed. I'd be all kinds of mess. Thank you, Jesus, that despite myself and my pleading and my begging and the same way a little kid, boo, some people spiritually do that with God. Sometimes you sit there whining like a little kid to God. He's like, no, ain't going to happen. And thank him for that because he's preventing us from getting something that we did not need in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. So the things that we need, we're supposed to get in God. God will assure that we get them. And not only that we will get them, but he will cause them to endure. Amen. They will stand the tests, the trials, the tribulations. So you might be in a situation right now that God has opened the door to. You might be in a position, an opportunity at work or something like that, that you went in and all of a sudden it's like warfare surrounding you on every side. And you're like, whoa, why did I get in this situation? It looks like about to drop out. The floor's about to drop out under me or the ceiling's about to collapse on me. But if God's opened that door and he's put you there, God's going to make that situation in door because God does not lead his people into any doors that are unfruitful amen if he leads you in it's fruitful or he uses it as a stepping stone or pit stop to get you to the next opportunity amen Amen. hallelujah so once again how do you wait are you fearful of the situation getting worse are you fearful of losing opportunities or relationships and let me see I'm gonna do one more passage and I'm going to hold on till next week to continue on because the Lord gave me a lot extra stuff that was unplanned. So I'm not going to go beyond. Amen. Let's do Job 11, though. Job 11, verses 7 through 11. Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? For he knoweth vain men. He seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? So we see here that canst thou by searching find out. In other words, can you figure God out totally? Will you just know exactly how he's going to do what he's thinking? You just got him all figured out. Amen. You're just an expert to the nth degree on God and all his thinking and his functionality. Amen. Do you have him figured out to perfection? Amen. We see here that contrary to that, that God's wisdom is higher than heaven. It's deeper than hell. Amen. In the mortal words of the great poet laureate, George Clinton, God's wisdom is so low, you can't get under it. So high, you can't get over it. Can't get over it. (laughs) This is a chance. This is a chance to praise your way. Have your situation. How? (laughs) Tell sugar. (laughs) Here's a chance to praise your way out of your afflictions. Gonna be preaching up and down, hang up alleyway. See, you ain't gonna be complaining, you're gonna be preaching. This faith we've grown in God, we will not be moved. Faith don't fail me now. <laughs> faith don't fail me now. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so God, as we see here, God's wisdom is higher than heaven. Just think about that, the levels of heaven 
that there are out there. It says that God's wisdom is higher than all those things. His revelation is greater than anything. We look at the heavens. First, there's the natural heavens. We look outside, we see the sun, we see a nice blue sky and clouds and birds and airplanes going overhead. So we see that, and God's wisdom is higher than that. Then we think about outer space. Got the moon. We got all the planets in the solar system. We got asteroids and comets and meteors and galactic clusters and supernovas and black holes and dark matter and all these different things out there. It says that God's power and his wisdom are greater than those things. And I was even looking at scientific programs where they're talking about string theory and brains and where they might have multiple universes. And even if they do, God transcends and created all these things. I don't have a problem with science talking about multiple universes. Whether it's one or whether it's eight billion, eight billion. God created them all. Amen. My God created all things. So science don't give me a problem, even if they find another universe out there or life out there. God created it. And that's absolutely true. Amen. But as great as all those things might be out there, trillions and quadrillions and quadrillions of galactic clusters and stars that we can't even count or number, God is higher than all those things. So that being the case, it says, how could you possibly figure him out in every situation? And if we can't figure him out, it's quite possible that as we evaluate our situations, that we don't have them figured out as well. And even though we might think, like, I absolutely know how to resolve my circumstances right now. I know exactly how to fix this situation I'm in. You ain't God. Amen? Whether you jump on an airplane or the space shuttle and fly yourself up in Earth orbit, you ain't got God figured out. If you dig the deepest hole to the core of the earth, you ain't got God figured out. He said he's present everywhere and his wisdom is above everything. And that being the case, that means that we need to not only know God, but we need to examine ourselves. It talks about he knoweth vain men. So there's certain things that we desire in terms of opportunities that should be shut that in our heart of hearts, we still want them. And we need to go to God and say, show me what's in me. Show me what's in my heart that's contrary to your will and expose it. Because I don't have me figure it out, let alone you. So show me the areas in which I'm vain. Expose them and minister to me so I no longer desire them. If there's wicked thoughts inside of me. Show me those things. Reveal those things. And I know sometimes it hurts and it cuts to have those things exposed. But reveal them to me and help me. I don't have the power in and of myself to purge myself of my mess. So I ask you, God, to expose it to me and to purge these vain things out of me. And once we do these things, we know without a shadow of doubt that God will enable us to start the process of waiting patiently for him to resolve the situations that we're dealing with. All right, so with that, I'm going to close for today. Next week, we're still looking at how do we wait on God, amen? First, we looked at being fearful of the situation getting worse. Secondly, we looked at being fearful of losing opportunities or relationships. Next week, we're going to start out with murmuring against God. And I know none of y'all do that, but I'm just being forced to cover that. Somebody can walk in that murmurs. None of us in here, spiritual as we are, as grown as we are, has ever murmured or even thought a murmuring thought against God. So I know it doesn't apply, but I am forced to start with that next week. Amen? <laughs> and we will continue on. The Lord's given me some other additional stuff on this topic, too, because I'm sure there's times we all 
feel we're waiting for God for something, and it hasn't occurred yet. So there's more to come. We're going to start with murmuring against God, but there's some other stuff that the Lord's going to have me sharing as well that's going to enable us and strengthen us to handle situations in which we're waiting on him. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's all rise and give the Lord a hand clap. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to, uh, anybody who has any prayer requests, feel free to come forward. I'm just going to do a closing for the sermon, but if you need a special prayer, then feel free to come forward. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right, I'm going to just do official sermon closing prayer, and then we'll go into individual prayer. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you, Father, for giving us the opportunity, Father, to just study the topic of waiting patiently, Lord. And Father, even those of us who would proclaim that we're the most patient people, Father, we all have a sense of anxiety from time to time. When we're dealing with some kind of anxiety, bills are popped up, physical ailments, even family members are going through and we're praying about, and it seems like they're going further into difficulty. So, Father, needing to wait is something that we all can work on, Father. So we just ask you, Father, through your word to continue to minister to us, Father, strengthen us, give us peace. Father, even the tools that we looked at today and the things that we evaluated, Father, Holly, if we've been anxious and impulsive, Father, we praise you right now. First of all, we repent of it, Father, because... Being impulsive and anxious and moving in haste is a sign of fear and distrust of you. So we repent to you for having unbelief and distrust for you. Father, if we've ever thought that you cut us off, we ask you, Father, to forgive us for that as well because your word completely negates the very thought that you were ever distant from us, Father. You turned your eye from a moment from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as he took on the sin that we bore. But other than that, you've never turned your eyes away from your children. So we just repent of that. And we just praise you, Father, that you give us the strength once again and the endurance, Father. Let us start to apply the things we've seen. And, Father, even if we've given our feelings over to fear and listened to the taunts of people in the enemy, we just praise you right now as you place a check in our spirit that as those thoughts will come in, Father, we would immediately cast down every imagination, every ungodly and demonic thought, and we would only speak the truth of your word. So we praise, we thank you, Father, for this. We praise you, Father, for total deliverance, Father. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.